Folks, take it from me, NBA legend Bill Walton. Like all great experiments in American history, the Three and D Love podcast will revolutionize your life. Welcome to the Three and D Love NBA podcast. Thanks for joining us, and I'm your host, Michael Eaney. We're joined, as always, by the brother, Ryan Eaney, and, of course, our namesake, the venerable D-Love, Derek Lovegren. Here we go. All right, Michael, we are back from our one-week hiatus. Our uh, fans consider this podcast such an essential part of their weekly routine that there was an outcry after we missed last week. A downright clamoring for more. I mean, you would think an absence makes the heart grow fonder or it results in our fan base feeling abandoned and angry. I, it, I mean, the, it looked like a like an airfield in Kabul right now, man. <laughs> oh, by timely reference there. Too soon, maybe. Yeah. I'm not sure. <laughs> but no, actually, these are all just assumptions. And I, I didn't hear from anyone myself, but I assume the public outcry was directed your way. That yeah, I'd certainly no. I heard from hundreds, if not thousands. I mean, it was remarkable the outcry, that the demand for uh, a two-man pod, despite uh, our missing our third wheel. You know, somewhere in the in the fields of Iowa on his road trip out west to the promised land. Brian, we miss you. Drive safe. Consider to consider. I know you're thinking about Luke Garza's pro prospects as you drive through Iowa in honor of. Uh, the great Luke Garza, the defending player of the year uh, and two-way signee of the Detroit Pistons, SVG forever. Uh, enjoy your drive and we'll uh, we'll have you back soon. Do, uh, do you think Ryan was able to make it to the uh, the Field of Dreams game, the, the major I, league game? I, I hope so. I mean, what a what an experience to uh, to come full circle with 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 Costner coming out of the cornfield. But uh no, I, it did make me think, I mean, from a basketball perspective, right. If baseball is doing the field of dreams games, I mean, what is, what's the best, you know, similar opportunity for the NBA to, to rip off, you know, the base base pro baseball had a good idea for once shocking. I know. I mean, what, what's the, what's the example? I mean, I've heard Rucker thrown around. I've heard the Hoosiers gym thrown around. Um, I mean, what is what do love? What do you say? What, where where should uh, the NBA take this? Uh, it's a great question. I think that should be actually priority number one on uh, Commissioner Adam Silver's plate here. Uh, we do have a mall actually tonight, so we can get a chance to talk about it. But uh, he should be proud. I think uh, where Hoosiers was filmed, which is where is that where Butler plays? I think uh, so. Right. Championship game. Yeah. Get, get Gene, Gene Hackman to be there to. Uh, Start off the festivities. It'd be perfect. Measure the basket just to live some old memories. Exactly. I do want to know. I mean, uh, I don't know how much traction this conversation could get, but could Luca Garza be the, the potentially be the best player to come from the state of Iowa? I, I think the bar's pretty low, my friend, and he very well might be. I saw him doing the mic and drill, which felt very on brand in 2021. I mean, the era of like stretch bigs. And meanwhile, Luca Garza's like, you know, throwing like running hook shots under the rim. So, I mean, when you're, when you're planted below the rim and that's where your game sort of thrives, uh, you know, it felt, it felt very appropriate that that's what he was practicing. I was actually taking a look at a couple of names too, in that uh, discussion of best players to hail from Iowa. And, uh, First, I thought I was having trouble getting past Fred Hoiberg as the, the best player, but uh, I went back a little <laughs> further. The mayor went back a little further. Don Nelson went to the University of Iowa and Sonic's guy, maybe the greatest nickname ever, at least in the top five, I would say downtown Freddie Brown. Oh, wow. That name oh, ring a bell. To that you? is tremendous. So anyway, food for thought for Ryan as he travels through the state of Iowa. <laughs> oh, Okay, Michael, since we were last here, the remaining free agents either found new homes or extended their current home stay. The Lakers got even older, which we didn't know what was possible. I think the average age is about, I don't know, 37, 38. Our, wait, I have, to, I have to stop there. Did you hear Dwight Howard's comments about the Lakers <laughs> that he felt that the, the group of old men, I'm going to call them the 2009 All-Stars, uh, that they, <laughs> he felt that they, they were underappreciated. And I don't quite know what that means. Is that like the, the young, cause they would still be considered millennials. Does he feel like 
the the younger subset of millennials don't properly appreciate them or is it the press is it gen xers who who doesn't properly appreciate the 2009 all-stars i'm i'm not sure i i haven't taken anything dwight howard said seriously i think since 2009 so maybe we take him uh not not seriously enough i mean he is a legit player he's a walking hall of famer for sure um, I mean, it is funny when you talk about being underappreciated. I mean, it, it goes in line with uh, LeBron's tweet, deleted tweet, and then tweet again. It, is is They're creating a, a narrative that suggests that they're underrated. I mean, and LeBron is considered either the best or second best player of all time. So I'm not sure. Uh, I'm not sure where this is coming from. They're obviously very old. Uh, the, the biggest the biggest joke of it all is the hullabaloo about signing Carmelo, obviously, uh, Melo is a fun story to have him circle back with LeBron uh, and finally play together. But I mean, come on, they, we're we're in Portland where you have a superstar who literally can't get enough talent around him. And I think the city of Portland threw a parade for Melo leaving. I mean, loved having him in in the city, but uh, his backline defense left much to be desired. So I'm not sure he's the difference maker in the Western Conference that uh, the Lakers fans are hoping for. Yeah, it's hard, hard to argue that point. I do appreciate, like you said, what Carmelo brought to the table, especially that little run he had uh, during the bubble. There was there were some special memories there, and I do appreciate that he showed proper recognition for how we basically saved his career, uh, which was actually very, very sweet. So uh do wish Carmelo all the best. I just hope for the Dwight Howard Hall of Fame induction that he invites Stan to, uh, <laughs> to be the one to do do the introduction the formal process whatever that is i mean it's when he peaked man i mean out you know the back surgery happened a few years later and then everything's been a bit downhill and now he's playing he's basically a wrestling heel playing center in the nba so um svg you know built a team a finals team around dwight howard and and uh those two are going to be attached in the nba history i remember when jeff van gundy beloved brother said when Stan was coaching Dwight, he said, the goal here is because these guys couldn't be any more different is for Stan to learn to be, to become a little bit more like Dwight, I guess it means become a little more playful and that Dwight needed to become a little more like Stan so they could learn from each other. I guess become a little, a little more, more serious. Yes, exactly. <laughs> anyway, another developed news stories, uh, our own CJ McCollum became president of the nba players association congrats cj uh, i know it's nice to have a philadelphia 76er represented in the nba <laughs> i set you oh, up wait for that he's one. still on the blazers <laughs> he is because there's a 50 50 chance that it's well 50 50 cj or 50 lillard to be a 76er i mean at what point does Neil Shea get get do you think he's trying to do the media strategy where he just sort of ignores the story and just hopes it goes away is that his strategy at this point I just think he's on a, a very long vacation because it doesn't seem like he's doing anything. Wow. I mean, it, it, it sure, it sure seems like, you know, outside of calling Hassan Whiteside at 1201 on free agencies, you know, Friday now or Monday night. Did you see that report? Is that apparently he reached out to Hassan Whiteside for a I, reunion I, tour? When you can upgrade Enos Cantor to Hassan Whiteside. I mean, what other way can you make Damian Lillard happy and bringing more talent around him? Wow, the plot thickens. <laughs> and the biggest story was the U.S. Olympic basketball team beat France to win the gold medal to continue their streak of coming up gold since 2008. Uh, no one was happier than the U.S. team coach Greg Popovich, who was much maligned in the media after the team struggled in the preliminary games and then lost to France in the opening game. Popovich, who has otherwise had a harmonious relationship with the media uh, said afterward that he's been <laughs> carrying around the pressure of leading the Olympic program for the last three years. You know, the media just loved having a, a chance to kind of stick it back to Bob because there were some valid reasons to, to criticize him. Uh, little uh, com comeuppance, I think for the, 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 And then my favorite part was the subsequent uh, drunk victory lap that Durant and Draymond took in terms of, of just ripping everybody on the internet, on Instagram live and videos, uh, just, just circling the wagons. 
And and meanwhile, Greg Popovich is is I'm sure inebriated on the finest wine and spirits. Oh yes, doing defensive slides in the hotel lobby in Tokyo. So great form, Popovich on the slides. I mean, for a a guy in his (laughs) early seventies, I mean, he was moving. Was Kerr in the corner boxing out? And (laughs) exactly, no, he was yelling, "Run the system." Uh, Larry, Brad, Bob Knight were able to join that party too. I know. I think they're they're headed to Camp David later later this week. (laughs) So the big adjustment that Pop made to quiet his critics and reach the Olympic promise and was moving from the Spurs' offensive system of sound ball movement to the get the ball to Kevin Durant and get out of the way and play better (laughs) defense. That was the formula. That was. Drew Holiday, uh, man. They, those guys, I mean, they, they, they showed up, man. And they, it was fun to watch them really turn it up. I mean, it, it reminds you just how dominant the U S is in terms of, of basketball capabilities. Cause again, we, we weren't, we sent the B team. I mean, let's just be honest. I mean, Durant sort of arguably the greatest player in the world right now. And it was supposed to be the Durant Lillard show, which Lillard had a questionable performance. He had a, he had a good better second half in the champion in the gold medal game, but Minus um, the two missed I think the end. Yeah, I mean, and I think Shams reported that he had an abdominal injury that may have been affecting some of his mobility, which would explain some of his questionable performance and his shooting woes. But, you know, outside of Durant and, you know, there's just there was a lot to be desired. And and those guys showed up. I mean, Holiday, Booker, Middleton, even I mean, those, you know, Tatum in stretches. You know, they really performed. I mean, and, and they weathered some serious storms. I mean, FIBA. Patty and FIBA, Ricky Rubio. I mean, these two like mediocre offensive, you know, NBA guards all of a sudden turn into like Luka Doncic in the, in the, uh, in the Olympics. And it's like, it's, it happens every four years and it's like a tradition, like none other. Um, and, and, you know, despite that, I mean, the U S weathered Rubio, I think went for like 38 or 42 or something like that. I mean, it was, it was awesome to watch, but, um, and then they, they, they kind of vowed to not let that happen with, with Patty Mills. Uh, but it is, it's fun to have them, you know, circle the wagons and, and defend the gold and, and then totally get hammered publicly on LeBron James's tequila, which just added more, you know, more nuance to the story, which always cracks me up. Yeah, it was, it was pretty sweet. And I do want to give a little credit. He did make some clutch baskets, uh, in the second half and, uh, did get, uh, got a little dicey there at the end. I, when we had that ill-advised turnover, in the last like 30 seconds, I, I was actually a little bit worried about Coach Popovich's uh, heart <laughs> at that point. But <laughs> nice that they, they held the on. Charts. Yeah. So back to Popovich, that's five titles and an Olympic gold for one of the greatest coaches of all time. Uh, he can now choose to ride off into the sunset in a blaze of glory or continue to coach the Spurs team as they strive toward mediocrity. I mean, we've talked about this on the pod before, but I mean, these coaches have a great lifestyle. I mean, it, it, I know they, you know, they, they, they work so hard, but what is pop going to go do otherwise? I mean, he's, you know, it's not like it's exactly glamorous coaching DeJounte Murray and Keldon Johnson and, you know, Bryn Forbes comeback tour, but what else is he going to go do? I mean, the guy's a basketball lifer. He's been around basketball his entire life. He makes millions of dollars, drinks great wine, travels, you know, hangs out with his, all his buddies you know, hires his friends. I mean, the, the guy ain't going anywhere and he just gets to be a curmudgeon whenever he wants to. And, and the problem is, is the Spurs aren't going anywhere fast. I mean, some of the trade conversations this summer, I actually thought were pretty interesting because, you know, they have a bunch of interesting sort of B minus prospects and being able to consolidate some of those uh, and, and kind of circle the wagons in terms of an opportunity to rebuild would be, I think it'd go a long way to, for the franchise, but They've continually sort of demonstrated a lack of desire to, you know, what we know as tank today. And I think ironically, as, as much credit as they get as a franchise, I mean, frankly, if it wasn't for David Robinson's bad back, the Spurs dynasty doesn't exist, right? Because they basically tanked for one season, got Duncan, and then, you know, went and just went on a tear all because of Duncan. I mean, let's be honest. I mean, the Manu pick was remarkable. The Parker pick was remarkable, but none of it matters I mean, lots of those fringy picks, you know, none of those matter without Duncan. And that's what they're missing right now. I mean, they were supposed to have Kawhi and that didn't happen. And uh, it'll be interesting to see what that franchise looks like over the coming years 
with this pending shift. I mean, at some point, Pop's gonna gonna hang him up just because, you know, the the there's a the travel just probably becomes too much. But I am uh, I'm fascinated to see what what San Antonio does here over the next few years. And somewhere, Bob Hill sits at home, looks on all this, and says, "That was supposed to be me." <laughs> probably the best uh, decision pop ever made was to fire Bob Hill and promote himself from GM to head coach, which some would say is sort of a narcissistic move, but uh, came out in spades on, on that one. Do you think, do you think that that someone's going to do the 30 for 30 on that story and paint <laughs> pop in a negative light? Like, I mean, speaking of the media's vendetta against a guy who's like continually been sort of a, a, a jerk to them. I mean, is that, you know, there's got to be some dead bodies, you know, no under the bus <laughs> in terms of how that happened. <laughs> and, and it's turned pop into sort of the greatest, the, one of the greatest recognized coaches of all time. And simultaneously, like how much, I mean, and he says it himself, how much does this happen without Duncan? None of it does. Right. I mean, shit. I mean, he took Duncan out in like the, the 13 finals and, and gave up multiple offensive rebounds on the, in the Ray Allen game. Right. I mean, it's not exactly it was I mean, the everyone... worst decision he made in his professional career. Exactly. Right? Best and, again, and worst. There's, there's some challenging ones, but it's, uh, it'll be interesting to see how he's considered and perceived as time evolves. If someone tries to do that documentary, you, you might, you might see some more dead bodies, uh, start to pile <laughs> up. Although, because I think, uh, Ryan might really want to produce and, and lead that movement because, you know, Ryan has uh, at times been a critic of how Popovich particularly has treated sideline reporters, although recently he gave him his, his props for missing a game to go to Duncan's Hall of Fame yes. induction ceremony. And I actually, I, I, I still, uh, criticism aside, I still I do like a lot about Popovich. I think you can be a jerk to sideline reporters and also still be a good human being. He, I would say he could just be a little nicer sometimes to those guys, but uh Anyway, we'll look forward to that documentary coming out. Speaking of, of documentaries, I just have to reference this one because I watched it over the weekend, recommending it to people. The Alice Brawl, Malice Palace, 2005. Uh, Ryan brought it to our attention and I watched it. And it was yes. pretty, pretty fascinating. Uh, it really looks at things from a different angle. I think a much less myopic angle. It explores kind of some interesting topics around how people jumped to you know condemn the players who went into the stands not probably weighing that against the fans who instigated it and how much they were threatened and outnumbered but there was just some interesting things like i didn't know tim donaghy was the ref in that game mr corruption himself my, my favorite thing was the subtitle sort of the the tight his title underneath his name in the documentary was just nba referee there was no there's no it wasn't disgraced nba referee it was an nba referee an admitted basketball gambler it was just just nba referee <laughs> felt like there's a little more to the story there that could have been maybe uh disclosed but but you're right i mean it, you know listeners go watch this doc it's it's wonderful it's actually produced by Jermaine O'Neal, who obviously, you know, there's, there's a whole backstory subsequent to the mouse of the palace in terms of him pursuing, a, I mean, legal proceedings to sort of clear his name based yeah. on everything that happened. And, and the entire discourse around what happened that night is, you know, is totally colored by that era, right. You know, stern and the dress code and the way, you know, young African-American men are perceived in our culture is it's sort of at a peak, right? Lots of references to gangsters and thugs. And instead yep. of, of, of a recognition of, you know, what would really happen that night and that sort of the, the way everything, you know, the fuse that got lit ultimately as a result of, you know, a drink getting thrown around our test. I mean, and that's, it's crazy. I mean, the, the 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 way some of those careers turned as a result of that. I mean, that Pacers team was awesome, first of all, which I think people kind of forget. 
I mean, Steven it was Jackson, a very good team. I, the one thing I would say, I'm not buying into that they were going to win a championship if those guys didn't get suspended. Sure, I, I mean, <laughs> but but you got to remember, Stephen Jackson, right? He's he was the second best. I mean, arguably the second best player on the 03 Spurs title team, and basically pop ran him out of town. I mean, the um, our test was averaging like 25, seven, and five going into like in that season, and then basically got suspended for the rest of the year. Right. I mean, they, they were legit. I mean, J.O. Jermaine O'Neal was like a, a yeah. perennial all-star at that point. I mean, they had, they had the, the juice to really make some noise. And instead, you know, they had allowed, I think it kind of allowed for Detroit's sort of extended Western Eastern conference run, but even though the, that, that group was, you know, approaching sort of operating on fumes in Detroit, you know, they, they were able to continue to be, you know, you know, kind of plugging along until LeBron's 48 special in 07 resulted, you know, in, in, in kind of the dismantling of the Detroit era. So when um, they won, they won the East, the Pistons won the East that year. I think that was the year they were going for back-to-back titles. And then they lost to the Spurs in the finals in game seven. They almost did win back-to-back. Yeah. We're talking I mean, about that's the crazy thing, yeah. right? I mean, but, but that's, I mean, how good the Pacers were in, and I mean, it was a really a weird year in the, in the NBA. I mean, the, that's probably the weakest Spurs team. I mean, Oh three, probably, but the Oh five team was not exact. I mean, Manu and Tony were not Manu and Tony quite yet. I mean, they were like approaching that in the Oh seven and then into the kind of late two thousands. Um, and so it's just, it's just a fascinating what if, and, and I love that it's being revisited in light of sort of new eyes, new thoughts and how we right. perceive culture and how we, the discourse around, you know, those types of events have changed so much compared to just the hand rigging and the get off my couchness of the, the kind of early 2000s. Right. And there are there's more important topics in that documentary than the caliber of the Pistons team. But I just have to mention the one thing that wasn't mentioned is that their starting center was Jeff Foster. And I think their their starting point was it Travis Best or Jamal Tinsley. I mean, yeah, there was, yeah, there was yeah, one yeah. other yeah, equation. Yeah, best, I think. <laughs> But you're right, Jermaine, our test, Steven Jackson, Reggie Miller, kind of toward the tail end. But yeah, there was they could have made a run, but uh, just Pistons would have, uh, I think, would have uh, beat them in a, in a playoff series. But that's the hinder there. I've got to, Michael. I've got some more free agent stuff to touch on here. So back to some of the the big names here. Steph Curry signed a a 200 plus million dollar extension. I, once it gets past 200 million, I forget the, the money. At this, I mean, I thought you, I, if you would have told me he signed a $380 million extension, I'd just be kind of like, oh, okay, I guess that's what it is now. Well, that, that's the end of my joke here, Michael, because uh, it was a really happy, happy day for Curry, who previously only had enough money for 50 lifetimes and now has enough money for 75 lifetimes. Uh, so we're, uh, we're happy for, for him and the family. <laughs> um, Kawhi Leonard will stick around longer, signing a four year deal with the expectation of playing a collective two years out of the four years <laughs> load management for $176 million. Oh man. And I, th- th- that one is fascinating to me, Derek, because you know, there's a lot of not to get into salary cap minutiae, but there's certain kind of thresholds for which there made a lot of sense for him to take a one plus one where he signed a two-year contract, but the second year would be a player option and he could opt out next summer and then sign the big deal then. Uh, And he would have his full bird rights and he, you know, a whole bunch of different stuff would trigger where his deal could be substantially larger. And, and that was sort of the presumed route when he opted out of his four, you know, his deal this last, you know, earlier this summer. And the fact that he signed the four-year deal, I think is really interesting. I mean, I don't want to read too much into it. Who knows? Um, but there's a bit, you know, there's a suggestion there to me that maybe his knee is is even worse than we thought. Now, I'm, I'm sort of a Kawhi truther that like his knee has actually always been this bad and it's getting progressively worse. And I would buyer beware on all of these things. Um, I, I'm not sure the Clippers have another choice, to be clear. But, uh, you know, it does. I feel like it leads cre- credence to the reality that he's probably going to miss most, if not all of this season. And then, and then he has some hesitation and concern around, you know, what the future looks like. Cause I mean, to me, you know, he has no risk signing a one plus one unless his knee is really a disaster, right? He can miss all of this year, opt out next summer and sign a four-year max. And unless his knee is like 
totally a disaster, that deal is still getting done. And instead he, he decided to do the four-year deal now. Uh, and, and I'm curious sort of what, what was going on there? I mean, it's either the knee is a problem or there's some like, you know, Steve Ballmer chicanery under the radar that is allowing, you know, he's kind of wink, wink, nudge, nudge, sort of giving him the Dirk treatment in terms of, you know, don't worry, we'll take care of you when you're done. Uh, and, uh, and so I'm curious to see how that roster continues to evolve because, you know, they, they have an interesting season ahead of them without Kawhi for presumably much of the year. Um, but also are want to continue to build a roster that lends itself to, to the championship window of PG and Kawhi together. I will say the most interesting thing that they, I think they've done in a large part is this most recent trade. I mean, they shipped out Bledsoe. Beverly and Rondo, right. For, for Eric Bledsoe, right. So Bledsoe comes full circle. He's a clipper again. I mean, Bledsoe has been considered much of an albatross. His last, you know, now it's his third trade where he's basically dead weight. And, you know, there's always the, you know, the, the hubris of with which when you redeem Reggie Jackson's career, you might think you can redeem Eric Bledsoe's career too. But regardless, I mean, the strategy behind a, a move like that is what it allows you. They basically packaged up two expiring contracts in Beverly and Rondo for a bigger deal that then has a another big number next year, except it's only partially guaranteed. So the cap gymnastics that allows a team like, the Clippers who are substantially over the cap, right? They have very limited flexibility. We've talked about this in multiple moves, right? Whether it's the Luke Kennard move or the Marcus Morris move, this is another example of them leveraging their financial freedom because their owners worth like a hundred billion dollars to basically spend a ton of money in terms of bringing blood. So in, which actually saves them a little bit of dough this year, but the next year they have this huge salary that then they can trade out take a big salary back and the team receiving him can actually just waive him for, I think it's like a $3 million guarantee next year, even though his contract value is like 20 million. So just there's some mechanics there that allows the Clippers to actually go get a valuable player next year in a season in which presumably Kawhi is at full strength, PG's rolling, right? Reggie Jackson, you have the whole, you have the whole cast of characters, Nick Batum. And then you also, can go get one more kind of guy in that 18 to 20 million dollar range and they don't care about the, the 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 salary cap right or the luxury tax right i mean that this is one of the interesting things about the dynamic of the league right now is there's there's so much parity what it's leading to is these there's going to be i think there's going to be this class of haves and have nots in the league in terms of how competitive these teams want to be right because there's you know, anywhere between a half dozen and a dozen teams that conceivably could talk themselves into being contenders, right? And what, what they need to do is go make that one, two, three more moves. And they're mostly fringy type things to really push them over the edge to distinguish yeah. themselves, right? Outside of the Nets and to a certain degree, the Lakers, you know, there, there's a lot of teams. I mean, the Warriors are a great example. The Clippers here are starting to do it. And even the Lakers, to a certain degree, I mean, they kind of cheaped out on Caruso because they, they wanted to save some cash. And I think what's really interesting is these, these teams that are in this upper echelon have the opportunity to, to be incredibly competitive and compete for NBA titles. And, and it depends if their owners are willing to, to dive into the luxury tax and how substantial they are, right, to dive into the luxury tax. And, and you know, there's this thing called the repeater tax, right? So the longer you're in the salary, the, the luxury tax each year, the, the, the punitive damage of, of, you know, your dollars in the luxury tax increases, right? So the warriors are in like, you know, luxury tax hell because they've been there for four years. Whereas these teams that kind of fluctuate in and out don't get the repeater tax dynamics, right? And so then you, all of a sudden you have a team like the warriors who, you know, you have like late prime Curry, you have, clay coming back you have draymond in his late prime right you have wiggins who's like an interesting piece you have all these rookies and and they have other mechanisms they can use to go get reasonable players right i mean kelly Oubre just signed a two-year 26 million dollar deal with with charlotte and could have very well been leveraged as an asset whether it's on the golden state warriors or on a different team they could have leveraged him into more talent on their roster and they decided not to and in large part because of the luxury tax implications of, of a decision like that 
right? And so I, I'm curious to see how all of these fringe teams, you know, it's how they go about managing the salary cap as more of these teams kind of see themselves as a contender, right? I mean, you you saw the Bucks, right? I mean, PJ Tucker is now with the Miami Heat. And that's only because the Milwaukee Bucks are cheapskates, the owners there, right? I mean, that's, you know, they can, they can, uh, you know, toot their horns about winning the title, but if they want to defend it, they're going to have to spend some cash. And if they're not going to, you know, it's going to be a short, short lived defense, right? And that's, that to me is one of these interesting dynamics from a structural standpoint is the league put this repeater tax thing as a deterrent for the big market teams, the really rich owners to take advantage of the rules of the game. And in some ways it's actually backfired, right? It's become so punitive that any team that isn't wealthy enough to foot it doesn't want to touch it with a 10 foot pole and the really successful financial teams, whether it's because of the market they're in or because their owner's really rich can go and use it as like a, you know, a cudgel basically for the rest of the league. I mean, right. Steve Ballmer can spend money until the cows come home, right? They can, you can use every mechanism available to him as an owner and as an NBA franchise to go get more talent. There's no reason for him not to do that. I mean, he, he's like the perfect NBA owner because he treats the Clippers like it's like a super yacht, right? It's just, oh, cool. Nick Batum, awesome. Reggie Jackson, terrific. Oh, should we buy three second round picks? Oh, yeah. Should we give him a guaranteed deal, a three-year deal, right? I mean, BJ Boston was like the third best high school prospect like two years ago. And now he's like on their roster in like the 50s because they bought a second round pick. I mean, they're doing all and, and there's salary cap and luxury tax implications of that decision. And instead they still went and did it, right? They got Jason Preston, you know, out of Ohio in a similar fashion. So, you know, I'm curious to see especially as the collective bargaining agreement comes up, if the league and the players association evaluates some of these dynamics, especially the small market owners who frankly, to be competitive, have to have a high price roster, right? This is how the game is played. But if you can't stay in that high price roster space too long because of some of the luxury tax implications, unless you're a really financially successful franchise. And, and without that, all of a sudden, it, the whole structure to make it more competitively balanced backfires. And instead, it's all back with the big franchises again, too. So I, I don't know. It's just it, that, that's, a, that's a lot to say around some minutia in the CBA. But it is really interesting to watch some of these teams make these decisions, and particularly a team like the Clippers, and conversely, a team like the Lakers, right, where the bus family obviously is really wealthy. They own the Lakers, but like that's, that's their family wealth is the Lakers, right. And the revenue streams of the Lakers, whereas, you know, conversely someone like the, like Steve Ballmer, who again, right. was the CEO of Microsoft worth a hundred billion dollars and happened to throw $2 billion at the Clippers because he wanted a new toy. And, and so that he was, do whatever he wants. That was your line from a couple weeks ago, right? Don't run it like a business run it like it's your toy. So the, those, the owners who have the more money can uh, treat it more like a toy. Well, and that's, and that's the, I mean, you're totally right. And that's a, we were talking about the nets a couple of weeks ago and, and they have reported to be signing, you know, all three of their big, their big three to extensions through 2027. And by the time they get to like 2025, the luxury tax payments on that rosters are going to be insane. So the question is, is how are they going to continue to, to strategize and how willing is Joe Psy to go into the luxury tax and make these monstrous payments? I mean, I think like the Kelly Oubre contract for the Warriors last year cost them $70 million and he only got paid 18, right? So just to show you sort of the dollar for dollar impact on some of these decisions and Joe wow. Lacob, you know, did it because he wanted to be competitive and, and kudos to him. I'd be curious how long that appetite runs for, right? You know, it's like long ago, the Sixers owners said they were willing to go through the process. And then like two years later, they didn't have the stomach for it. Right. At some point hey, without Uber, they would not have made it into the playoff tournament. I, will I say. know. Right. I mean, <laughs> to have the rights to lose to John Morant and the Grizzlies uh, with an injured Kelly Uber on the sideline. Uh, but it is it'll be it'll be it'll be interesting to see how Brooklyn proceeds. Right. Is, is, do, do they find themselves up against the wall? Right? If they don't win a title, they don't win a couple titles. Are they looking to trade? Kyrie for pennies on the dollar because they're trying to save some dough and they think they can kind of be competitive on the fringes still. Right. 
they they did a similar thing as the Clippers in terms of pursuing second round picks, and and I think again that those are going to be some strategies these these teams are going to going to um, implement to save some dollars. But again, you know, overall in this era of co- competition where there's is you know between six and 10, 12 teams, give or take, that can perceive themselves as competitive for a title, right? What are the what, what are the Nuggets going to do, right? I mean, is Jeff Green sort of their bellwether signing? What's the, what, what are they going to do to build around Jamal Murray? And what, what if MPJ doesn't, you know, pop like we all hope he does, right? You know, what is, what's Jokic when he gets sort of itchy in a couple of years? Are they going to be able to go make the moves necessary? Are they going to keep Gordon and Murray and Porter and Jokic all together, right? Is that, is that a thing that's going to happen? Are they willing to spend those dollars and what's, perceived as a pretty small-ish market in Denver, right? Is that is that going to be an option, right? What's, you know, what's Utah's appetite to, to foot the roster they have now that they signed Conley to another three-year deal, right? So there's all these different dynamics in play, and I'm curious to see how it plays out because it's going to have a substantial impact on the competitive balance of the league. Yeah. And I like your point with Bledsoe that we're just in the basketball aspect of it that we're talking, uh, it's a small upgrade, but they are a team that I think many will probably, I would be inclined to say that they are going to be the favorites in the Western Conference next year, uh, partly based on how they they play toward the end of the season, as we saw Paul George uh, take his game to another level kind of unexpectedly. And yeah, I mean, there will be other teams in the mix, but um, that sometimes that's the key is those little small upgrades that uh, separates the, the top team from uh, the other elite teams. I do have to say, Michael, this repeater tax thing, I'm checking my files and notes. I don't see uh, any information about the repeater tax. You got to give me a heads up on those in, in the future because I, I, I don't have any, any background, but I do appreciate you enlightening us all no, on it the is. repeater tax. The repeater tax, man. I know it, it's, I think it peaks at $4 for every $1 in the tax, right? So the first year in the tax, it, you, you, for every dollar you're over this tax threshold, right? You pay a dollar into the pool that then gets distributed to the other owners who are under the tax. Um, and, and the second year it's two, I think it's actually two and then the next year it's three. And then it peaks at every $4. So the warriors last year were at this threshold where for every dollar they were into the tax, they paid $4 to the pool. Right. And so all the cheap owners are like, yeah, spend more money. Go get Kelly Oubre. Be mediocre. This is tremendous. And like the Memphis Grizzlies get to keep collecting them checks. Like Michael Perez, like, yeah, my the company I founded might be struggling, but I sure love these luxury tax payments, right? So it's just a curious, it's a curious dynamic, I think, as the league again continues to expand and what's going to happen here. But uh, enough of the minutia of the accounting, you know, geeky stuff. Uh, <laughs> it'll be it'll be a fun. I think it's gonna be a fun season. I mean, it's. I will say, you know, I'm I'm curious, Derek, who had a worse summer? Was it Dennis Schroeder who rejected a four-year, $80 million Ooh. contract last Gosh. season and instead accepted a one-year, $5 million contract from the Boston Celtics? Or was it Andre Drummond who took a buyout out of his max contract in Cleveland to then sign a minimum deal with the Lakers and with the idea that he was going to showcase his talent and get another big contract. And instead he took a minimum deal in Philadelphia, which listeners, I hope you've been tracking this story. It's one of my favorite pet stories of the off season. Andre German is, is, is well known to be totally owned by Joel Embiid. Like Joel Embiid absolutely just, just crushes Andre German. He's in his head. He's like all over the place. He talks so much trash to him. And meanwhile, they are now teammates, which is absolutely hilarious to me. So who had a worse summer, Derek? Dennis Schroeder or Andre Drummond? Were the two agents who represent them? I think it's a pretty rough stretch be, for that's them, too. That might be option C. <laughs> is uh, Maury going with the uh, keep your friends close, but your enemies closer? A little, have you been watching The Godfather, maybe? Yeah, I, to, I uh, think. Bring Drummond into the fold? I mean, the way he's playing this Ben Simmons deal, I mean, they're going to have the most uncomfortable you know, locker room, you know, this side of a family Thanksgiving. I think it's like, you know, in blackjack, when, if you get two face cards and they say that you should always sit on the winning hand instead of splitting and then playing each, <laughs> each against the, whatever the dealer has, you know, that, and what's the other uh, better one in the hand than two in the bush. Like if you have the money 
on the table, just take, take the money, right? You're playing the winning hand. Take the, take the winning hand. Don't mess with the winning hand. Is that a fair analogy? That is. No, it, <laughs> you're right. And if anybody who's played blackjack knows that the guy's splitting face cards at the table, you, you need to get up and leave. And I think Daryl Morey well, might, we might need to get up and leave the Philadelphia 76ers. I mean, you know, we're talking about Lillard getting traded to the Knicks. I mean, at what point does Joel Embiid look around and be like, what are we doing here? I will say the way you learn is you actually make the mistake at the table and then everyone chews you out and then you realize you're never going to make that mistake again. But these guys uh, do not have that kind of luxury with their shorter careers. Not so. quite. Oh. But uh, <laughs> I will say, you know, despite those bad summers, you know, who's having a good summer, the Washington wizards. Speaking of a team, I can't quit. <laughs> yeah. I mean, Spencer Dimwitty reunite, you know, coming back and, and, and uniting with Bradley Beal. By Wes Unsell Jr. replacing the the uh, our man Scotty Brooks, right? Yeah. Now now celebrating in Portland, right? Yeah. So I'm excited about. It. They have a lot of guys. I mean, right? They did the Westbrook trade, Kuzma, Harrell, right? I mean, they're they're putting some players together that uh, I'm 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 getting talked back into it again. Yeah, you might so, have them as a four or five seed. Uh, I think Forget so, number eight. man. Well, Dinwiddie, it's like yes, Ed Dinwiddie free because he was going to be. You know, like the because you have you have your big three, and then it was Dinwiddie is like the starting off guard who's like really rarely going to touch the ball. But before pre big three, I mean, he was the guy. He was putting up some great numbers. Yeah. Uh, so now we can set him free, and yeah, I kind of I I I like the mix. Obviously, they're handling it well in terms of long term, short term. They've made some very savvy moves. So yeah, I'm on board. I don't I don't. I imagine I'll I'll still have the Hawks uh, ahead of them. But, uh, <laughs> <laughs> Lloyd Pierce somewhere is crying. Him 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 and Bob Hill. Was Lloyd, uh, Pierce was one of the assistants on the Olympic team? Is yeah, right? he's kind of was wondering what could have been. Is he back with the team as an assistant? I think he took the assistant job contingent on Trey Young not being on the team. <laughs> <laughs> oh, uh, speaking of their young stars, forgot to mention Luca also resigned with the Mavericks for again, a little over 200 million, but regretted not asking for more after realizing how much quality was making per game adjusted per load management. That joke, <laughs> that joke may have been a little better. It would come right off the heels of the, the comment I made about. Oh Leonard, no, but, it's, you know. it is uh, that deal. I mean, what is he 22 years old? I mean, $207 million, not bad if you can get it right. I mean, can we just think of it? We're three years removed from an NBA draft in which there was people who really did think that, that Marvin Bagley should go ahead of him, right? And DeAndre Aiden should go ahead of him. I mean, it's like it's like that he was going to be a step slow for the NBA. I mean, the guy was like the youngest Euroleague MVP of all time. And meanwhile, people were skeptical that he would translate in the NBA. And meanwhile, he's just eviscerating people in the NBA. He's eviscerating people in the Olympics. I mean, the 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 fact that they nearly pulled it off with that roster. I mean, did you watch any of this Lavinia games? I mean that was that roster left something to be just you know i think he actually felt good about signing his his mavericks extension because he realized how bad his supporting cast could be with the slovenian national team and, and instead he decided to go back to to dallas good question i couldn't find any of the games uh all the games were like on at four in the morning it seemed like and uh until the championship game was actually in the evening time but uh it was pretty yeah, bad. It was impressive oh and so the latest update, I did refer to Olshay earlier, which sort of undercuts what I'm about to say, but uh, <laughs> the most recent update we hopped the press is that Lillard isn't returning Olshay's text messages or voicemails, which reportedly are Olshay explaining why Cody Zeller is the missing piece to make the Blazers a title contender, but repeatedly asking if Dame thinks it's necessary to add brother Tyler Zeller. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> In a related uh, story, power forward Tyler Zeller last played for the Spurs in 2020, and his current whereabouts are unknown. <laughs> oh, man. I I did see that they signed Greg Brown to a three-year deal. So anytime you can buy a second-round pick and send him to a three-year deal, I mean, that's literally what all the teams that are going to compete for titles are doing. I think Olshay is trying to convince Dame. He said, hey, this is what 
the Clippers are doing and the Nets are doing. So if we can do the same thing with Greg Brown, it'll be, it'll be great. Which <laughs> Greg Brown, I will say has been a joy in summer league so far. I mean, the guy dunks everything, uh, which is, which is fun. Uh, but um, have you been able to watch any of summer league? I mean, it's some of the games floating around. I mean, I think it just wrapped up this today or tomorrow, but um, you know, it, this, this class, I think has a really interesting mix and and these classes seemingly are, are becoming more and more NBA ready as they show up. I mean, I don't want to be a bit too hyperbolic in terms of reacting to summer league, uh, but you know, Cunningham, Jalen green, Mobley, Jalen Suggs, like my favorite pet player of the of the entire draft. I think. I mean, they always get a whole look great, and yeah. you're kind of like they. I just watching them move. It's not even necessarily against the level of competition because obviously that is lower than the NBA. But watching just the way their bodies move, it's they look they look like NBA players much much sooner than I think a lot of these rookies have been. I mean, I love summer league. It's one of my favorite events of the year. I've gone a couple times, and I think you what you see is, I mean, we went a couple years ago when I was like five years ago when Jalen Brown was a rookie and Jalen Brown looked like a, an antelope and like deer in the headlights. He just, he, like, he couldn't, he didn't know what to do with the ball when he moved and he's turning himself into a wonderful player. And I was watching Jalen Suggs and, and Jalen green. I mean, these two guys, the way they move, they look like they're seasoned veteran guards in the NBA. Yeah. Yeah. And, and green is unique because he played in the G league elite or the, um, G league select or whatever it was called, but you know, so he's been planning its NBA players, but it's just fun to, to see how the league is coalescing. Um, and we talked about sort of the youth movement in the playoffs earlier this year. And now you have some of these rookie classes coming in and you're just kind of, the, the league is just ripe with talent and it's going to hopefully lend itself to continued more and more, you know, com- competition across you know, the league. I mean, it's, so it should be really fun, but yeah. um, it, w- it was a fun summer league. Yeah. I mean, with the top three picks, I was hearing a lot of talk that any of those three could have been number one picks in, in other drafts. So it was obviously top heavy, but it seems like, and then Suggs uh, not far behind, unless you ask the Toronto Raptors uh, <laughs> <laughs> who did not value it was high. I did see Suggs and green got uh, a little banged up, but I don't know if that was one of those just extra, being precautious uh they want the young guys to get hurt but. yeah i think it's it's uh it's just the guys you're already deemed too good for summer league but um my i'm curious as a mental health profession professional did you see the rockets first round pick alperin singoon i think he's from turkey i want to say he he talks to himself and he talks to the ball at the free throw line did you see this no it's yeah, very interesting he, he has he has again like a visible conversation with the basketball before he shoots a free throw. I was curious. So that's obviously unique. Do you think Ben Simmons should adopt a similar routine? (laughs) (laughs) Do you think it's the ball's fault is really what I'm getting at? It's actually a very interesting question. Carl Malone used to kind of talk to himself, whether that was successful or not, or uh, I think Scotty Pippen was still able to get into his head in the biggest free throws of his life. But what it is, though, it actually, whenever you're stuck mentally in something in a process and you're performing, whether it's uh, putting from four feet away or shooting a free throw, uh, throwing second base, Chuck Nolak, whenever, whenever you're stuck, there's, you're kind of neurologically speaking, you're like literally frozen. Like the, whatever you're, you're doing, you have to change the pathways in your brain. So you actually have to, you want to look at doing something totally different. So for putting, actually try looking at the hole. Jordan Spieth, it was never really, never became a bad putter, but he had to do that for a period of time. <laughs> yeah. But you, you actually, you, you need to recondition your brain. It's kind of how it works. So if talking to yourself, if you're willing to um, do that and not suffer any of the side effects of feeling embarrassed just any shame about talking to yourself in public um, <laughs> if, because this is generally not uh, considered a socially acceptable thing to do uh, but if it's if you can deal with that okay and you're building a, a new condition response in your brain that can be effective so ben simmons i would say 
it's worth trying because whatever you're doing, you got you got to try something different. And I think I don't know. I mean, we've seen these guys that have really improved at the free throw line. DeAndre Jordan, you know, Drummond. They're not like great free throw shooters necessarily, but they significantly. Yeah, yeah. Giannis is the one. He does it. He's on a different. Giannis plane. in game I, seven. He, he would need his own research to explain his phenomenon. But these other guys, yes, try try something different. I don't know if uh, I don't know if Simmons would be able to withstand the shame that would come from talking to himself. Like he would just draw more attention to himself. So I don't know if that particular method would work, but it's worth at least trying something. So what you're saying is, while also a classic mid '90s comedy, Happy Gilmore was on to the mental health profession, <laughs> and Happy Gilmore talking to the ball to go to its home. <laughs> I actually thought I, I had this vivid memory of watching that movie when I was watching Sungoon talk to the ball. I just in my head the monologue was "Go to your ball, go to your home, ball. You love your home. You belong in your home." Yep. Next uh, thing you're going to see is Kevin Nealon being signed by uh, NBA teams to give that talk to players. <laughs> Feel the flow happy. <laughs> so anyway, summer league's great. The, 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 the other fun thing I think from summer league was that the, the warriors rookies actually looked pretty competent. So that'll be interesting. Mm-hmm. I mean, Jonathan nice. Kamingo was regularly considered one of those like kind of upper echelon guys who oddly fell. And then meanwhile, he showed up in summer league and just like dominated everyone. Um, Moses Moody obviously is a, but I think he's a, like a lower ceiling athlete, but um, he's a pretty skilled player too. So it'll be interesting to see how a few of those guys translate. If they, if there isn't a big trade, if these young guys can contribute uh, for the Warriors kind of coming into this year, because right now, obviously I think it's sort of presumed that that Lakers nets, sort of are the, the presumed favorites in each conference. But obviously the West, I think, is a bit more open than than, than the East is going to be. Um, and if Clay Thompson comes back and can play a significant portion of the season and uh, revert to his old form, then uh, that's a that's a dangerous team there. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it'll be it'll be um, I think it's a fun year. I mean, it's coming up soon. It's only too. Really I mean, like two months away. That's what's crazy. I mean, the, the, the first game of the year is October 19th. I mean, training camp starts September 28th. I mean, we're, wow. we're like a little over a month away from training camp starting. So, um, and, and, uh, I think the dark horse of the year is going to be the Detroit Pistons. So, um, for all our Piston fans out there okay. that, uh, get ready. Apologies, commissioner Stern. We ran out of time. <laughs> Stern, 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 from, Stern from the grave. I was doing the documentary, uh, at silver. Our apologies. That's all the time we have for today. Thanks for joining us at the 3 and D Love NBA Podcast. We'll be back next time. But until then, remember, throw it down, big man. This isn't just a great podcast. It's a triumph of the human spirit. <laughs>